0: Our scripture reading for today, you'll see it in your worship folder on page 3, comes from the 8th chapter of Paul's letter to the Christians at Rome, beginning at verse 28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor the powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, that it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So far, the reading of God's word. Well, friends, if you have come today and you're feeling a little bit down or a little bit discouraged, maybe not as happy, clappy as you'd like to feel, you picked a good Sunday to show up. Because we're going to look at five ways that God can take discouraging moments in your life. Indeed, how God can take the problems and the trials in your life and use them for good. Now, I want you to understand something at the very outset of this message. God does not cause the problems in our lives. That's not his business. God causes no problems. But God is, however, capable of using those problems for good in our lives. He has a purpose, as you heard in God's word, for every last problem that comes your way. The question is, what purposes does God have? We've been in this message series, God's point of view. We've seen what God sees when he looks at us as being lovable and forgivable and usable and capable. We have seen what God sees when he sees other people in this world, as people also to be loved and cared for. We saw God's point of view when it comes to relationships, that we serve one another. But today, what does God see when he sees the problems you and I experience? Here's purpose number one. God uses problems to direct us. God uses problems to direct us. In Proverbs 16, 9, it says, A person may plan his own journey, but the Lord directs his steps. See, you may set goals, you can establish objectives, you can lay out priorities, you can clarify your values, you can follow your dreams, and yet the Bible says, but the Lord directs our path. I want you to understand that the Bible tells us that we ought to plan. We need to plan as individuals and families. We need to plan as a church. We need to plan as ministries. But God is still going to be the one who directs our life. And the way he does it is sometimes he uses those little things we call problems, those things we might call roadblocks, because let's be honest, friends, if everything in your life was comfortable, some of you might never, ever change who you are today. In the Bible, for example, you know the story known as the prodigal son. A young boy comes to his father, and he says, I want my inheritance, and I want it now. In the Jewish culture, what he just did was said, Dad, drop dead. I want my money now. And the dad gave him the money, and we know the rest of the story. The young boy went off to a far country, wasted his money on wild living, and he ended up on his hands and knees in front of a hog trough. The Bible says that's where he came to his senses. Have you ever been on your knees in front of a hog trough and finally came to your senses? It says, I'm better off being back home. I'm going to get up and go back to my father. I think that's so typical of people, particularly in America. We hardly ever change until we hit rock bottom. I preached about the prodigal son one time. I think the title was, how low must you go? <laughs> and some of us got to go pretty low before we come to our senses and turn back to God. I mean, when things go well in our life, we hardly ever think much about, why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What's going to happen to me when I die? What's the purpose of my life? But when problems come, we start thinking about it. Do you remember the story of Jonah? Kind of a fishy story. Uh, But I'll tell you anyway, uh, you might say he was swallowed up by a big problem. But you know, when that problem spit him out, Jonah was not where he started. Jonah started out heading that way. God wanted him to go this way. And somewhere between that way and this way, there was a giant problem. And when that giant problem had finally worked him over and spit him out, Jonah was going in the right direction. I think that's a parable of life. God uses problems in our life, particularly when we're headed the wrong way. Problems kind of swallow us up, and then problems kind of spit us back out, and we suddenly find out we're going in the right direction. Paul was talking about one of his friends in 2 Corinthians, and in chapter 7, verse 9, Paul said about his friend, I'm glad, not because this hurt you, but because your pain turned you back God. Let me remind you of another great man in the Bible. His name was Elijah, great servant of God. He had gone through such hard times that God actually said, let's do a little rest and relaxation. So he sent Elijah to to stay close to a brook, a stream of water, and he took care of him there. He said, Elijah, you've had hard times. Rejuvenate, refresh by this bubbling brook. But the Bible says one day the brook dried up up now, have you ever had a brook dry up in your life? I mean something you were depending upon and all of a sudden that was gone it might have been a job might have been a relationship it might have been your savings accounts. I mean many times in your life your brook may dry up you can count on it but it's going when it, it's going to happen because things change now what did Elijah do when his brook dried up? better remember? He did the same thing you would have done. He whined and he complained about it. Oh, God, don't you love me anymore? You dried up my little brook. I'm so thirsty. There's no water. And what did God say? He said, of course I love you. Get over it already. Build a bridge, get over it. I've always promised to provide you, but there's one problem I don't want you here by the brook anymore, and the only way I can get you away from this brook is to dry the brook up. See, sometimes God wants to put you in a different job or a different relationship. Sometimes God wants to put you in a different situation, a different circumstance, and when this happens, is God being mean to you? Absolutely not. But he may have a new direction for you, and sometimes he uses problems to give us new direction. Here's the second thing. God uses problems... Not just to direct us, but to inspect us. Inspect us. Jeremiah 17 says, The Lord searches our hearts, examines our deepest motives, so that he can give each person his right reward according to his deeds how he has lived. God uses problems, folks, to figure out what's really in your hearts. See, God is much more interested in your integrity than he is your image. He is much more interested in what's inside of you than how you look on the outside. Solomon in the book of Proverbs chapter 16 said humans are satisfied with whatever looks good but God probes deeply for what is good. You remember the story of the children of Israel led by Moses they crossed through the Red Sea They head to Mount Sinai. God delivers to them there the Ten Commandments. They now have a desert to cross to the Promised Land. It was a trip that should have taken, oh, three or four weeks tops. But it took them 40 years. Why? Because every time God tested them, they failed the test. Every time they failed was one more lap around Mount Sinai. Have you ever gone through this in your life. I think we all have. I mean, God loves us even when he tests us. God takes us through wilderness experiences, you know, where we sometimes wonder where God is and what God's up to or what what's going to happen to us next. And when we're going through this, all God is really saying is, friend, will you trust me? Will you obey me? Will you do it even when you don't understand everything? Now, I don't do much grocery shopping, but occasionally Nancy will send me to To buy stuff, she'll trust me to do that. The one thing I hate shopping for is fruits and vegetables. You know, I don't know what to do with those things, they just lay there. But I've kind of learned over the years that to buy good fruit you have to kind of squeeze it a little bit. Squeeze it or smell it. Well, do you ever feel like God's put the squeeze on you? That ever happened to you? He's doing that because he honestly loves you. When he puts the squeeze on, He's trying to figure out what's inside. Now, your reaction to the problems in your life reveals a a lot about your faith. It uh, reveals a lot about your commitment and your integrity and your maturity. And the Bible says that when God puts the squeeze on, it's also like a refining fire. In Isaiah 48, it says, I have tested you in the fires of suffering. And just like heat burns off the The impurities for gold and silver, God uses the suffering of life sometimes to burn out the impurities of sin. Now, I know just enough about you after being here for seven months to know that there are some of you that are suffering right now. You've been in the process, some of you are going through it, some of you come out, but we're all in a state of suffering. But my encouragement to you this morning, friends, is this. Instead of thinking about who to blame, Instead of sitting there and holding your own personal pity party, why not learn to ask this question? God, through this time of suffering I'm going through, what impurities are there that you might want to burn off? What do you want me to do as I go through this difficulty of life? You know, I view life sometimes as like a big test. I mean, I mean is what we say we believe really what we believe now a lot of us we believe a lot of things but when problems come that's when you really discover what it is that you believe i mean i may say that god is number one in my life but when problems come do i get sidetracked with my commitments i mean i may say that i have integrity but when the pressure is on am i willing to take a lower standard in life So what does God use problems for? He uses them to direct us, to inspect us. And number three, God uses problems to correct us. You notice the pattern here? Direct, inspect, correct. Hebrews 12, God corrects all of his children, and if he doesn't correct you, then you really don't belong to him. All that reminds me of something my grandpa used to say when he'd be paddling me. I'm doing this for your own good. I wouldn't do this if I didn't love you. I I was always tempted to say, Grandpa, could I show some love to you then too? (laughs) I was smart enough to know when to stop. It says God corrects us for our own good because he wants us to be as holy as he is. Now, in light of that, do you know the difference between correction and punishment? There's a big difference between correction and punishment. Punishment always looks at the past and said, you did something bad, So you need to be punished. Correction always looks towards the future. It says, you did something bad, but next time, do it differently. The great thing is, and a lot of people don't understand this, God never punishes those who have accepted the forgiveness of Jesus because the Bible says what? Jesus took all of our punishment on him on the cross. Now, even though God doesn't punish those who seek forgiveness, God does correct us. He does it because of his great love for you and for your own good. I've raised two children. I think we're still in the process of raising them sometimes. We have a grandchild that we've been a little bit instrumental in helping raise. And and one of the things... I think I told Eric and Terry, and I have told Joshua, an uncorrected child is an unloved child. I firmly believe that. And the reason I firmly believe that is because that's exactly what the Bible says. An uncorrected child is an unloved child. I'm telling you, parents, if you never corrected your kids, and all you ever did was punish them, you're missing something in Scripture. See, correction is proof that I'm part of a family. And for us as believers, correction is just proof that we're part of God's family. I'm going to be blunt. If you sin and you've never felt like God's ever corrected you, maybe you ought to reconsider. Are you a member of God's family? In the book of Job, chapter 5, it says, Consider yourself fortunate if God, all-powerful, chooses to correct you. You, know, you ought to be happy if God corrects you. It shows you he loves you. He doesn't want you to be like you are. The great Christian writer C.S. Lewis said it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. See, pain is kind of God's warning sign. Pain is like that old robot in that one uh, television show, warning, warning, <laughs> you're going the wrong way. Now, I've said many times that the truth will set you free, but it'll sure make you miserable at the beginning. Job 35, 36 says God teaches people through suffering and uses distress to open their eyes. See, life is like going to school. And sometimes problems are just part of the curriculum. David says in Psalm 119, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me, talking about a problem. it's the best thing that ever happened to me because it taught me to do what? To pay attention to your word. I could stand up here this morning and tell you story after story after story of people that I've talked to who have said to me, very, you know, that illness I went through, that separation I went through, that divorce I went through when I lost my job, when I I went bankrupt, that trial, that problem, that difficulty, whatever they put in that list, they would say that's the best thing that ever happened because it forced me to confront issues in my life. God used that to help me grow. You know, sometimes, friends, you don't know God is all you need until God is all you've got. And sometimes God uses problems to strip everything else away. And when you lose everything and all you've got left is God, you're going to find out something that God is enough. When problems arise, don't ask, why is this happening to me? Instead, ask, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Here's pro- purpose number four. God uses problems to protect us. You know that? He uses them sometimes to protect us. Psalm 91 says, God will save you from hidden traps. In the Middle East where they, they have sheep, if they have a little sheep that keeps wandering off or keeps getting lost or getting into problems, if they can't control that little lamb, do you know what they do with it? They sometimes break its leg. They do that to protect that little lamb from getting in worse trouble. You know, sometimes God does that to us. Not literally, but there are times, I believe, that when God lets us go through problems to protect us from even greater harm in our lives. You know, it's taken me a long time to realize that disappointments are really only God's appointments. I mean, a lot of times when I have problems. i do what you do. I want to solve the problem. and I want to solve it right now. I don't care what it takes to solve that problem. But sometimes, you know what, you don't need to solve the problem. You just need to realize that God may have allowed that in your life to prevent something even worse from happening. I think of a man that I met not long ago who was telling me that some of the things in his place of business challenged his personal integrity. He said, i felt like, I feel like i got to stand up for what's right in my company, and so he did, and he got fired. But later, when that company got sued for their lack of integrity, guess who wasn't there in that company anymore? That man, God, had protected him from that shame and embarrassment as well. I think one of the most famous Bible stories, i reminded of it, I saw the kids up here. I think it was the U-turn, I don't remember which sign you held up, but you talked about Joseph. You know, Joseph, who lives in Potiphar's house, and he's a servant. But Potiphar's wife is after him all the time, trying to seduce this young man, and he continually says no. She eventually accuses him of rape, and he gets thrown into prison. Why? Because he was a man of integrity. He did what is right. Years later, though, when Joseph looks back at all of his problems and looks at his brothers who'd thrown him in a hole and sold him into slavery, do you remember what he said? Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended this for good. So friends, sometimes God uses problems to direct us, sometimes to inspect us, sometimes to correct us, sometimes to protect us. And number five, sometimes he uses it to perfect us. I found this on a a card. I was sorting through some stuff in my Drawer the other day, and I found some old birthday cards, assorted other, you know, happy Pastor's Month cards or something like that. And on one of these, I don't know who wrote this, it's probably the great Greek philosopher Anonymous, uh, but it said this Your greatest spiritual growth won't come on the mountaintop, but in the valley. Your greatest spiritual growth doesn't happen on the sunny summer days when everything is wonderful. Your greatest spiritual growth will be in the dark days when things aren't going good in your life and you turn to God for dependence. That's when God will use those days in your life for good, if you will let him. Now, I know some of the problems that some of you are going through. But for many of us, I have no idea how you may be suffering today. But I want to encourage you with a Bible verse. It's 1 Peter 5, verse 10. This is a verse that I've thought about any number of times when I felt like I was having problems, however you want to describe them. Peter says, after you have suffered a little while. And I'm going to stop there. Because, friends, even if you have suffered your entire life, it's only a little while compared to eternity. It says, after you've suffered for a little while... The God of all grace who calls you to share his glory, that's what he's going to do to us someday. He's going to call us to share his glory. God of all grace who calls you to share his eternal glory in union with Christ himself will what? Perfect you. In other words, God's going to use whatever you've been through to make you a better person, and it says, and will give you firmness, strength, and a sure foundation. So you see, friends, your problem is not really your problem. Your problem is how you respond to your problem. Now, when does your problem become a real problem? I'll tell you when your problem's a real problem. It's, it's when you respond the wrong way. It's when you lose God's perspective on it. It's when you start blaming other people for your problems. It's when you become bitter and angry and refuse to forgive other people. That's when it's a problem. It's when you lose your sense of humor. It's when you throw away your values. It's it's when you focus on your problems and you don't focus on the problem solver who is God. So what are you going to do about it? That's always the good part of the sermon. Nice sermon, Pastor. Response, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see. What are you going to do about it? Because if you don't have problems today, friends, I can guarantee you're going to get them. What are you going to do about it? Maybe the next time you've got a problem, you ought to sit down and maybe take this message outline and ask yourself some questions. Lord, are you trying to are you using this problem to direct me? If so, what do you want me to change? Where do you want me to go? What direction would you want me to take? Lord, are you using this problem to inspect me? If so, what are you trying to reveal about my life? Is there a weakness you're trying to show me? Is there an insecurity, a misplaced priority? Is there a sin? Is there some source of unforgiveness? Is there some compromise? Is that what you're trying to do? Lord, are you using this problem to correct me? If so, what is it you want me to learn? I, I, I I don't even want to ask why it's happening. I'm just going to ask that you help me learn something from it. Lord, are you using this problem to protect me? Have you brought this into my life to keep me from getting hurt in even a worse way? If so, then I'm just going to trust you because I know that you know what is best. Lord, are you using this problem to perfect me? Are you trying to make me more like you? If so, do so. Let's pray. Father, all too often we look at ourselves, we look at other people, we look at our relationships, we look at our problems, and we look at them from our point of view. We look at them with our eyes and we see ourselves as not being very worthy or miserable people. We look at other people and we make judgments about them. We see our relationships and we blame other people. We look at our problems and we we think that you don't love us. Lord, we need... We need a cure because we suffer from eye disease. We need to be taught that this is not all about us. It's all about you. We need to be able to see ourselves the way you saw us because you saw us as people who needed a Savior. You see other people as people without Christ who need to hear about it. You see relationships as something that you created for us to live in, that we need to serve one another. And Father, you've given problems and used problems in our lives to direct us and inspect us, to correct us, to perfect us. So Father, may we look at these as times when you are indeed with us. If we were to lose everything else, we're going to find that we still have all we need because we have you. Father, we thank you for being with us on this journey called life. In Jesus' name, amen. In our blessing, I'm going to ask you an odd question. Friends, are you out of your minds? I pray so. I hope you are. Do not follow the ways of the world, but repent and live. Have the mind of Christ. And may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Let's stay.